0: Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. I want you to go with me to First Samuel. You know, of all the, the men in the Old Testament... One of the ones who's probably, you know, the, speaks to my heart the most is David. And so tonight we're going to talk about David and Goliath in the 17th chapter of 1 Samuel. And, um, you know, it's, um, it speaks volumes that David is still revered today. You know, Jesus is called the son of David. David is is revered as a, as one of the kings of Israel. He is spoken well of, you know. He, he was he was a pivotal point in the history of the nation of Israel, and uh, his his encounter with Goliath has so much for us in it. And he, in in chapter sixteen, if you you backed up there in, in chapter sixteen, um. You know, I, I want you to understand that, that David be, became king because Saul didn't do what Saul was supposed to. You know, God had already, if you go back over to Deuteronomy 17, you'll find where God had already talked about one day that Israel would have a king. And so for them to have a king... Was not going to be any big thing. But the timing was not right, exactly what God wanted it to be. If you read here in First Samuel. The people had decided that they wanted a king just like the other nations around them. They didn't want to be ruled over by a judge anymore. And, uh, you know, when it came right down to it and the people kept murmuring about it and complaining about it, Samuel went to the Lord. And he said, Lord, you know, here, these people, they want a king. And and Samuel was upset. And God said, now, Samuel, he said, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. Because, see, God ruled the nation through his prophet. and And so he's saying, they haven't rejected you. They're rejecting me. They want a man to rule over them. And so God gave them a man. He, he helped choose a man. And what they wound up with somebody that you would, if you could just put out what you thought a king ought to look like, it was Saul. He was tall. He stood head and shoulders above everybody. He carried himself, you know, like a king. I mean, it was just like, oh, man, this, this guy looks like a king. But I'm here to tell you, the day came when Saul forgot who chose him. The day came when Saul decided that he didn't need God, that he could do all kinds of things on his own. And because of that, God took the kingdom from him. And uh, let's see if I can find that verse here. Uh, In fact, in verse 22 of chapter 15, it says, and this, you'd have to go back and read the whole story, and if you've been reading through the Bible, and you've already been through this, these accounts. But in verse 22, it says, um, the Lord is, is talking, and he says, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. If anybody ever wants to know what happened to Saul, right here, to obey is better than the sacrifice, to hearken better than the fat of rams, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness. As iniquity and idolatry, listen. Rebellion today is still is as the sin of witchcraft. Just because we live in this twenty first century, and because we are so enlightened, and because we know so much, and we've developed so many things, and we have our technology and all that kind of, it comes right down to the same things today. Rebellion is still as a sin of witchcraft. And listen. I could get off on some rabbit trails tonight, and I might. I've got a little extra time, so I just might get on a lot of rabbit trails. But I'm telling you what, when you see as parents, you see rebellion in your children, you need to do something about it. Because you are doing them a great disservice if you do not. When the Bible says rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, it's no matter what the age. It doesn't start being as the sin of witchcraft when you reach 21. It starts when you're two. It starts actually earlier than that. I mean, I raised two kids. I could see it. I could see it when they were much younger than two. But the whole thing is, when you see it, you need to deal with it. You need to help them overcome that fleshly tendency to rebel against authority. You know, you do your children no favor. You do them a great disservice. You do them a great injustice to let them go on in their rebellion. I don't mean count to one, two, three. When you see rebellion, you need to nip it in the bud. Some people seem to think that rebellion is when they talk back to you. No, it's not when they talk back to you. It's when they talk back to you, when they roll their eyes, when they ignore you, when they sigh. (sighs) Sigh that's rebellion. When I spanked my children, when they screamed out at me, that was rebellion. And we got some more of it until we were silence in the, in the spanking. My mama used to say, you know, if you don't stop that crying, I'll give you something to cry about. Stupid statement, but it's the truth. If you don't stop that right now, I'll give you something to cry about. But you just see, If we train them early not to rebel against us as parents, they won't rebel against authority at school. They won't rebel against authority on the job. They won't rebel against their father, God. The most important thing that there is. That's why they need to learn it early. Because rebellion is is just all bound up in the heart of a child. It is. Take their toy away from them. Tell them they can't do something. You know, see their reaction. My boys learned early. You have a nice mask on. Mama better not see it. Mama better not hear it. And if I heard it once you left the room or when or I left the room, I have good ears. Yeah. Then you'll see my face again. Yeah. But it's it's serious business, people. It says this man lost a kingdom over rebellion lost a kingdom what are you willing to let your child lose because you won't deal with them because you won't help them deal with their flesh what what are you what are you willing to let them lose it's important stuff anyway, there's one rabbit trail down the road Hallelujah anyway. As we go on into into chapter 16, you have to see that David was anointed as the next king of Israel after Saul has been rejected. God didn't overlap them. He rejected one. He began the process of grooming another. And in chapter 16... Verse 1 It says, For I, he's, he's telling Samuel to go find, go to the house of Jesse the Bethlehemite. He said, For I have provided me a king. Saul was the king the people wanted, but God found somebody that he wanted to be king. And if you go on, You know, you'll see that he went through all the sons of Jesse, and I love what what Pastor Greg said on Sunday. I thought you're going to preach my message here, Bud, but anyway, he he said, you know, isn't it isn't it something that David's own family, his own father, didn't think enough of him that he would have him come when Samuel said, "Gather your sons." He was an afterthought. He was out with the sheep. He's the youngest how much how much you know good could this be i mean how could god possibly i mean did he even think about it david at all or was it just because of the fact that he was out on the hillside with the sheep all the time just kind of out of sight out of mind did he ever consider it he may, it may seem that he never even considered such a thing not that he considered even thought eh he's not worth it, worthy of even thinking about bringing him in It could be that he just was never even considered, which I don't know which is worse, the fact that you never even thought about him or the fact you thought and didn't think enough of him to bring him in, whichever it was. But anyway, in verse 7 of chapter 16, it says, for the Lord sees not as the man sees, thank God. For man looks on the outward appearance. Isn't that exactly what happened with Saul? The people looked on the outward appearance. It says, but the Lord looks on the heart. You know, all the time that David spent out on the hills with the sheep was a time he spent with him and God. He had no other person to talk to, but he had God to fellowship with. You know, when you go back and you look, you know, throughout all the Psalms, you know, and you can find the Psalms that were probably written when he was a shepherd out there alone. Just him and God. Some of the most beautiful things. I suspect that Psalm, the 23rd Psalm, was written while he was out. Because he said, the Lord is my shepherd. Where else would that setting would he have penned that Psalm? But right there on the hills with the sheep. Just doing his job. Just thanking God. just Just being in fellowship with him. And he put himself in a place that God could say he's a man after my own heart because he spent his time early in life developing that relationship with God and because of that he was he was the the best king did he have his faults yes he did did he make his mistakes yes he did but he always turned it around his heart really was always toward God he 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 slipped up a few times when he got his eyes off God but he came right back to him you know, I, when I look at, at the time when the child that he and Bathsheba had together, that he he died, and he went into mourning, you know, it didn't take long that he he, he put aside the sackcloth and ashes. He put away his mourning, and he said, I can't, I can't bring my son back to me, but I one day will go to him. He just, all right, my heart's back toward the Lord. He put all that away. What an amazing man he was. Anyway, uh, in verse 13... It says that Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. But the interesting thing is that David did not make a big thing out of it. You don't see any that he ever referenced again anything about, I've been anointed. I don't know. You don't even see where, where Saul told him what he was anointed for. He came and he anointed me. Okay. He went back to the sheep. He didn't say, you're anointed to be the next king. And that's what Samuel knew that that was what it was about. But I don't see any reference that they told David that. No, not at all. So anyway, in the midst of his brethren, he, he was anointed. And uh, eventually he was, he, was, he was brought before Saul when, when the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. He was brought before Saul because Saul had an evil spirit. And David's harp playing would soothe Saul. He was in the king's house and yet not making a big deal about it. He didn't know. He was there to serve his king. He was a man who was taking time to prove his faithfulness in the house of the king. He was a man who was there who was watching and learning spending his time just uh, uh, just feeding on and and just soaking up just what were the things that were around him this is what a king's house is like this is what a king does this is how a king runs a country i'm sure he was able to to watch all of that this was a grooming time for him but you know here we are are in verse in chapter 17 Where the Philistines have gathered together. And see, originally God's told Saul, you're going to drive the Philistines out. Obviously, he has not accomplished that. He's not done what God ordained him to do. You know, if you don't do what God ordained you to do, he'll take that job and give it to somebody else. When God says this is your job, then this is your job. But here we find in chapter 17, the Philistines had gathered together and they have a, they have a giant there and you can read all the different uh, things here in this early part about how big he was and how heavy his coat of mail was and how heavy his, his greaves on his legs were and how, how heavy his shield was and his spear, you know, all that. He was a, a big dude. You know, we can just say that he's a big guy. David on the other hand was a short guy. And so here you see that, that David's father sends him out to take some provisions to his other sons. And, uh, you know, the three eldest were there. So David comes, and he's, he's, he's returned from feeding the sheep. He comes to where his brothers are. And uh, it says in verse 16 that the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. The army of Israel had been listening to this guy for 40 days already with all of his threats with all of his his tactics putting fear in they were listening to it day and night 40 days they had been letting this soak into them and what it had produced in them was a sense of fear it had produced in them a sense of oh what's going to happen to us okay. and they were just scared nobody nobody dared challenge him nobody dared say anything there was a truce going on you know but In chapter 17, what you'll find when David comes along in verse 23, it says, As he talked with him, his brothers, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. And all the men of Israel when they saw the man fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, "Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel he's come up. And it shall be that the man who kills him the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel, free from taxes." Now, there's there's a bonus. Can you imagine that's that's a big incentive but nobody took the bait. Nobody. The king wouldn't go out there. Because he knew he was—he didn't have the anointing of God on him anymore. He was, he was a big guy himself, not nearly as big as Goliath. But he wasn't willing to go out there. So he was trying to get somebody else to go by promising them all these things. Still, nobody took him up on it. I mean, that's a lot. You talk about riches, the king's daughter, household was free of taxes. I mean, there's a lot at stake. Nobody, nobody took him up on it. When the leaders won't lead, the followers won't follow. That's still true today. They, Saul had disqualified himself already. He couldn't afford to go out there. He knew God's hand was not on him. And uh, in verse, in this, as you go down, uh, where's, that, where's that verse here? Verse 26. Oh, we've already talked about who the, Oh, this is what I want. In verse 26, he says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who is he? Who is he? Who, who does he think he is to defy the armies of the living God? See, David took one look at him and heard what he had to say. In his, in his mind, he had already defined the circumstances. He had already defined the situation. He already had clarity about the situation. He's the enemy. We're the children of God. He's, he's the aggressor. We, we, we can beat this. We can do this. This is how dare he. He was putting himself in a place where he said, this is the armies of the living God. Who do you think you are coming up against me? That was the day he said, not today, devil. Not today. And so, you know, here it is, you know, that that his brothers, if you go on down a little bit, his brothers are like, who do you think you are, David? I mean, shut up. You're just just the, the kid who brought the provisions from dad. So just be quiet. You know, they were there when he was anointed. But again, do they, do they have any idea what he was anointed to do, what he was anointed for? I doubt it. But they were there. You know, just like Joseph's brothers, you know, maybe there was a little bit of envy, maybe a little bit of jealousy going on there. Maybe they just didn't want him there because, I mean, after all, I mean, Samuel's anointed you and, okay, get out of here. Could have been. Could have been some little brotherly strife going on. You know, that sounds what it sounds like to me. But uh, David was not going to be deterred, not about to be deterred. And so he went to Saul. He says in verse 32: Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David: You are not able to to go up against this Philistine to fight with him. You are but a youth, and he's a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Your servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear. And took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Uh, Anybody want to go toe-to-toe with a lion and catch him by his beard? Oh, my. I'm thinking to myself, son, you are dumb. You know, why would you do that? The spirit of the Lord was upon him. Did you? If you did, you see in the earlier verse, the spirit of the Lord came upon him from that very day. Well, he went back to the sheep. The spirit of the Lord was on him when the when the lion came. The spirit of the Lord was on him when the bear came. David had learned how to fight a faith battle. He had already fought two pretty good adversaries, and. He had experience. You know, I heard Lois Toucher say this one time. He said, she said, no man with an argument is a match for a man with an experience. When you have become an experienced fighter in battle, nobody can talk you out of it. Nobody can look at you and say, you can't do this. You went, of course I can. You bet you I can. I've already done it. I can do it again, too. And so, you know, I I just, I just want you to understand that don't let anybody, don't let anybody tell you to be okay with defeat. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do something because God's already said you can. He said you can, and He's equipped you so that you can. Hallelujah! You know that's the mark of a godly leader, and he keeps things in perspective. David wasn't haughty during all this; he was just confident. In the God he served, that the God that had been with him when he fought the lion, the God that had been with him when he fought the bear, he was confident in the fact that God was with him. And see, there's where our battles come in sometimes. Are you confident or not that God is with you in the middle of whatever has come your way? When the attack comes your way, when the enemy is, is, is throwing at you all the threats, and all the the, the spears and everything, when they're coming your way, are you confident that you stand in the power of God? Are you confident that the one who created the heavens and the earth stand with you in this very place? He was... And so it didn't matter to him how big that guy was. It didn't matter to him how big his spear was. It didn't matter to him, you know, that he was the champion of the Philistines. And he, this, I'm, I'm just a youth. I'm a youth with the Spirit of the Lord. I'm a youth with, with God standing right here with me. I am, the, I am amongst the chosen people of God. That's what he knew. That's what he knew. Hallelujah. He never looked at himself as great. But if you see in verse 37, when David was recounting the stories of the lion and the bear to Saul, he said, the Lord delivered me. The Lord delivered me. He didn't take credit for any of it. He gave all the glory to God. He gave all of it to to, to just define the moment. The Lord delivered me. And he said, he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine as well. Well, when Saul heard that, you know, I suspect when Saul heard that, he thought one day I, I was that confident, but I'm not that confident anymore. If I had been, I wouldn't have sat here for 40 days and 40 nights listening to that Philistine threaten the people of God. I would have done something about it. Can you imagine what Saul might have thought when he heard this young man say, God will deliver me, and Saul could not say the same thing? Could that have been a, an awakening moment to him? I don't know at what point Saul realized that it's over for me. It's over. I, I've, I've just missed it Totally. And God's moved on to somebody else. But anyway, we go on here. So Saul, if you should go down. Saul, in verse 38, Saul armed David with his armor. And he put a helmet of brass on his head. He armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor. And he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said to Saul, I cannot go with these. For I have not proven them. He had never used them before. And so David took them off. Listen. Listen. When, you, when it's time to do battle with the enemy, You can't use somebody else's methods. You can't use somebody else's strength. You can't use somebody else's ability. You can't use somebody else's resources. You can't use somebody else's giftings. You can't use somebody else's leadings. You can't use somebody else's plans. You can't use anything that belongs to somebody. You have to act as God leads you. You have to let God use you the way he uses you. Not the way he uses somebody else. There, there are similarities, you know, in all of our lives. There are similar things that we do, similar ways that, that, we, that, that we need to, to take on, the battle that the enemy throws our way. But still, God is going to use you in a specific way. And you cannot be influenced by somebody else's abilities or anything else. You know, if you try to use somebody else's sword and it's too heavy for you, you're not gonna, it's not going to help you a whole lot. If you're going to try to put somebody else's armor on and it weighs you down, you're not going to get a whole lot out of this thing. It's going it's, it's to make you a target, a bigger target. It doesn't matter that it doesn't look like somebody else. See, we've we got to stop looking at everybody else's battles and, and how they did things. You know, they're, like I said, there are similarities. We all get to a place where, number one, we speak the word, we thank God, and then we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's But the leadings will be particular to you. You can't, you can't, you can't rely on anything that comes from out here. You have to rely on the leadings that come from in here. And what's in here might look a little bit like somebody else's, but it might not. And just because it doesn't look like somebody else's, look, don't be affected by that. Don't, let that. don't let that persuade you one way or the other. Don't let it affect how you decide to, to, go, to go forward with this. You just look to what's on the inside here. Hallelujah. So, what does David do? He takes all this stuff that Saul gave him. And he took his, in verse 40, it says he took his staff in his hand and he chose himself five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. Isn't that something? Five stones. Here he's got this big old sword offered to him and he takes five rocks. Does that make any sense at all? Mm-mm. But you know, the interesting thing is that he was confident in the weapons that he had because he has experience in using them. See, you can't confidently go into battle with weapons if you haven't used them. And too many people get up to a, to a big fight and they haven't used the weapons God's given them already, in the small fights, Things have to be developed in your life. Things, your, your, your ability to fight off the enemy, your ability to walk in the light of the word, your ability to, to, to succeed through God has got to be one of experience and practice in small areas. You see, when David was out on the hills and a lion and a bear came, the only person it was going to affect was him. And see, you know, we we need to start off in life where, and our children as well, when they're young, let them have faith projects. Let them just say, I'm going to believe God for this. And let them practice. You know, when you're first born again, start with the smaller things. Get your faith in a place where it grows. You know, the book that we offer to visitors, Exceedingly Growing Faith. We all start from point A, and God wants us to keep moving forward to B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way down through this thing. He wants us to bring ourselves to a place where we have developed ourselves in the faith walk. We've developed ourselves enough that we go forward with a confident attitude, just like David did. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Why is he defying the armies of the living God? And, and I, you know, he he probably wanted to say, "And what are the what's the matter with all of you?" You've sat here for 40 days and listened to this. What is your problem? Yeah. Yeah. But fortunately, he was wise enough not to say that. Or at least the word does not record it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but but you have to come to a place where you, you give God something to work with. And the way we do it is by starting with the small things. I know when uh, several years ago when Jack was gracious, I don't know, he was maybe... Ah, uh, let's see. He's 14 now. He might have been, I don't know, five, six. And he wanted some kind of a game system. And his, his mom and daddy said, well, why don't you just believe God for it? And he said, okay. And so he was thanking God. He just asked, he said, Lord, I want this. And, and he began thanking God for it. And do you know, somebody gave it to him. Somebody who didn't even know he wanted one. Who didn't know he was believing God for one? Somebody gave him one. What do you think that did to his faith as a child? Boosted that faith. And so, you know, when you find yourself in a place where your faith gets boosted like that, the next step is easier and easier. And the things that get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, that's how God wants it to be. I remember we came back from Ramah, the pastor we had at that time, you know, it had been a pastor, my pastor here, used to say, we were at Ramey, he'd say, isn't this fun? Isn't this living by faith fun? And I would always say, it's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. And when we got back home and I had a chance to sit down with our pastor back then, I said, Pastor Ron, I said, does this ever get any easier? And he said, no. He said, really, he said, what I mean by that is that what you're dealing with now gets easier, but you're going to move on to bigger things. And so it will always seem like it's, it's harder. It's like a ladder. You're moving up one rung at a time. You know, you're always going higher, always reaching for more. You know, it requires the same effort because you're reaching now for more. What you're believing for now will seem so easy, you know, just a little ways from now. A little time from now, this will seem like nothing. And then you'll be faced with something else that will seem just as hard. said, because You're growing. And I, I've, I've always appreciated that. You know, and that's what we need to do for our children. That's what we need to do. Expect of ourselves is that this is, is, seems hard, but God wants to take me on to something even greater. And so I need to accomplish this. I need to get the victory in this area so that I can move to the next rung. I can make, take another step up the ladder. I can go further. My faith can take me further in this life. My, further can, my faith can get me more, get me down the road a whole lot more than, than I'm going to be right now. But I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Well, see, David had been, was out there. He had already practiced all this. But things that mattered to David, he spoke them. And we're going to see this. Um, one other thing, one interesting thing here. David took five smooth stones There's five parts of the armor of God over in Ephesians. One for each of those stones. Isn't that nice? And he had a sling. Well, for me, that that sling just equates to the sword of the Spirit. Just, you know, a little tidbit there. Anyway, the Philistine came on. He drew near to David. uh, And when the Philistine looked around, he saw David. It says he disdained him. Well, his disdain for him, I'm sure, came out of his mouth. And he says, he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come out to me with staves? Sticks, in other words. And the Philistine cursed David by his God. And the Philistine said to David, come to me. And I will give your flesh to the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and with a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day will the Lord deliver you into my hand, and I will smite you and take your head from you, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day to the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a... God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. I'm telling you, there came came a boldness out of him. Can you imagine, here's this little guy, and you've got a giant coming at you that's nine feet tall. That's about how tall he was. About nine feet tall. And yet there was not one little ounce of of fear in him, not an ounce of fear. Stop running from the devil. Stop running from, all he's got is talk. But what's interesting here to me is, is it mattered what David said. Listen, the giant spoke, David spoke. The giant spoke, David answered. If you'll go over to the New Testament when Jesus was out there in the wilderness wilderness with the devil, the devil spoke, Jesus answered. The devil spoke, Jesus answered. That's what you have to do. You have to answer everything that he says. Everything the enemy says to you must have an answer. And you must have the last word. You must have it. You cannot let the devil have the last word in any situation at any time. You have to have it. You have to answer him every single time. Too often we go through life when the enemy throws things at our at us, whether it's just an, a physical attack or whether he's just doing it mentally. You have to answer, it and we don't say anything back to him. I remember, you know, just a few weeks ago, you know, when this whole move business and, and, and in my mind, I'm going, where are we going to live? What are we going to do? And, dah, 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 dah. and it was just keeping me up at night and, and I couldn't sleep. And if, when I went to bed, I'd go to sleep. And as soon as I'd wake up, you know, you know, this was on my mind and then I couldn't go back to sleep and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and one night I just got tired of it. It was, it was one of those not tonight devil things. I got up. And went to the bathroom, came back to bed, and it started. And I went, I'm not doing this anymore. I am not doing this. Do you hear me? I am not doing this. I am going back to sleep. Amen. And I did. Yeah. You cannot afford not to answer the devil when he is plaguing your mind. And that doesn't mean just think, no, I'm not going to do it. That means you need to say it out of your mouth. You don't have to scream it. You don't have to bellow it out. But you have to answer. It might be a quiet answer because you don't want to wake somebody else up. But but you have to answer it. If you let the devil consistently talk to you without answering him, he will gain a stronghold in your mind that you are going to have difficulty getting rid of. Do not let him take one second of your time without answering him. Because all you've done is let yourself in for torment. And I had let him torment me for several nights about this whole thing. And, you know, finally had enough. Not today, devil. I love it. Love it. Not today. Glory to God. Uh, The things that David said mattered. And he said in verse 26, he made this statement. He, 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 He had already said in verse 26... He had identified the fact that he was an uncircumcised Philistine and had no covenant with God. Okay? He had already identified that. He had already said that in front of people. He already said, and in verse 32, he he, ex, he expressed his willingness to be used by God. Some people are never going to be used by God because they're not willing to be used by God. Oh, here am I, Lord, to me. Oh, but not today. Not, oh, I'm here, Lord, send me, but oh, not there. Oh, here am I, Lord, send me, but I don't want to talk to that person. Here am I, Lord, send me, but I don't want to give that much. David let himself, and, and he let himself be used of God because he was willing to be used by God, and he was there to tell people that he was willing to be used by God. In uh, verses thirty-four through seven, he had his testimony. He was testifying. Of the ability that he had in him because of God that lived in him well, didn't live in him, but he had a covenant with the God that was this that was a part of him. And verse uh, 45 through 47 was his declaration. He had a confidence that could not be beat, he had a boldness that was over the top. He was not going anywhere, not doing anything except exactly what he said. Saul couldn't do that because he knew he was not in a place to God to use him. He wasn't in a place that God would be with him. wasn't in a place where he could be sure that I stand with God. He just wasn't. You know, in 1 John 1, 9, you know, when, you're, when things aren't right, you go back to the Father. And you say, Lord, forgive me. Anybody who's made a mistake, come boldly to that throne over in Hebrews 4, 6. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Obtain grace and mercy in time of need. You know, I I look at I look at David and and then when he actually went out to meet him, verse forty nine it says David put his hand in his bag, he took a stone, he slung it, he smote the Philistine in his forehead, and the stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell upon his face to the earth. Now I read that and I thought a stone sunk into his forehead. Now, I really don't know that David had enough natural ability to sling that stone so hard that it would sink into that giant's forehead. But I do know this. When I am willing to be used by God, his grace, his supernatural ability will come into play and it will cause things to happen much, much, much further than my ability can take me. Isn't that wonderful? My ability alone is not sufficient. And I can't ever go into, into a battle with the enemy thinking that I alone can do anything, that I am just, oh, I'm this, I'm that, and the other. No, it's God's supernatural gracing and ability that takes me to the top of what I need to do, to the victory that I need to win. And he says he took his sword... In verse 50, David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and stood upon the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. Listen, if you're looking really good, sometimes you can take the very weapon that the enemy was using against you and turn it right back on him. Turn it right back. Use it against him. Hallelujah. You can cause those things to be dead, to be killed right there, using his very own weapons. And it says here, When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and of Judah rose and shouted and pursued the Philistines. Oh, now you can go and shout and run. Uh Uh-huh. But you know what? His willingness to go as a young man, and prove that God was with him and that God, the same God, who's the God the, that had led the armies, led Israel out of of Egypt, who had been with them through all of that, who had brought them through so many victories. of the, Suddenly that comes back to them and they can say, yeah. Because of your victory, somebody else is going to be inspired. Do you know that? When you show up, and you you get into battle and you pursue it and you come out victorious it's going to affect not only your life but somebody else's it'll give it'll give them courage it'll give them boldness it will build them up to a place where they went yeah we can do this so they took off after and they smoked the philistines hallelujah uh the interesting thing i see in verse um 51, where it says he cut off his head. He slew him and cut off his head is this. Make sure the thing is complete. Don't leave him suffering but still alive. When the enemy comes at you with something, don't just wound it. You need to slay it completely. You make sure that attack is totally dead. That thing is completely over with. That thing is completely done not to be resurrected again. Do you hear me? how, how How many times, you know, just in life, natural things, when you go to a doctor and he says, you need to take this, you're sick. You know, he says, you need to take this prescription for 10 days. And you decide six days in, I'm fine, I'm fine. I don't need the rest of this. And you stop taking it. A few days go by. Suddenly the thing flares up again. Too often as Christians, we do the same thing. We don't completely nip it in the bud. And it comes back. Listen, when you're in a battle, you make sure you finish the fight. You finish it once and for all. Totally and completely, you finish the fight so that it can't come back again. You won't have to deal with it again. And so, how does this apply to us today? Well, was the Spirit of the Lord on David? Looks to me like in Luke 4, verse 18. Jesus went into the synagogue. He picked this up. Prophetic words that apply to me and you today. It applied to the Lord Jesus. It applies now to us because we've been joined with him, because we are heirs together with him, because we are one with him, because he's the head and we're the body. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Yes, the spirit of the Lord is upon you. Hallelujah. Matthew 28 says, All power has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go you. You go. And ability, yeah. Philippians 4:13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You go back and you look at the battle that David had with with Goliath, and you see all the characteristics of the things that happened here, where he went out knowing who he was, confident in who he was, confident in the God he served, confident in the fact that God was with him, confident that God had proved himself over and over and over in his life already, confident that he was able to accomplish the deed that needed to be be done, and you say to yourself, I can do the same thing. Did Did Goliath show up in your life you need to fight in the same way David did go out not in your own strength but in the strength of God taking the weapons that he tells you to take doing what he tells you to do and go out there and take the enemy's territory right back from him that's what we do we can look at the story of David and Goliath and go yeah that's a that's a blueprint for me the next bad life fight is exactly who are you devil who do you think you are Who do you think you are trespassing on God's territory? You have no right here. You have no covenant here. And you speak the word right back to him. Every time he comes at you, you speak it right back to him. And I tell you what, victory will be yours every single time. Hallelujah. Amen.